Well, thank you for turning in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. Uh, If you will stand with me, uh, let's read that text together. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord shows signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. You may be seated. Pray with me, if you will. Lord, this is a a wonderful occasion as we have to honor our graduates, both high school and college. And uh, we do honor them, Lord, for their labors. We're very proud of them for their achievements. And Lord, there's something even greater uh, that's involved in the fellowship that we have. We're here together for a reason. It's because we fellowship under our worship of you. Lord, lead us in this, direct us as students go off Uh, to make big decisions in life about uh, careers or what you would have them do, Lord, possibly even vocational ministry or missions. Lord, I pray that you would lead them and go before them in these things. Lord, I pray that you would bless them in their lives. I pray that you would continue to instill in their hearts and minds biblical conviction and a Christ-centered focus, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts tonight as we study your word. We ask for a greater capacity to worship you genuinely in faith, that we'd be dependent upon the cross daily. Lord, lead us in this study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, It's always interesting uh, with the opportunity to, to preach on grad recognition night, and there's you could get online and look up you know, Bible texts for grads, and they're going to give you the top 20 list. Uh, I really picked a text today that the Lord is using to work on my heart. And, and students, I'm not just speaking to you. Congregation, I'm speaking to all of us. I think there's a simple truth here uh, within this text that we ought to lay hold of and never forget. I think it will serve us well in our walk with the Lord, and I think it will serve us well in ministry. So as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through 25, at the very beginning, in verse 20, we see a question. The question is, when your son asks of you in time to come, he may say this, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? What's the meaning of this? What what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord has given you? I think, in other words, the question here is, what is the significance or the importance of God's commands? Why are they important? And and possibly the student may ask, 
Why should we obey or follow God? Looking at the text and looking at the context, I don't, I don't read into this that there's a skepticism or a rebellion in the question. I think the question and the curiosity is a healthy thing. And if we go back and look at the, the list of rules and laws that, that the Israelites had to follow uh, so strictly prescribed, it leads to this type of question, I believe, uh, on, honestly and genuinely. So this is an interesting Old Testament question, uh, partly because of the answer. The answer which comes directly from the text and our understanding of the overall redemptive theme throughout all of uh, Scripture provides, I think, a very simple yet a very valuable truth that, I've, that I hold dear for my study. I hope you will too. So for sake of introduction, what are the, the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that a son, uh, one of the young Israelites, might ask his father? If we look within the context, we don't have to go very far. Even if you were to flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, we see Moses addressing the Israelites. Very quickly, considering where they have come from, and that being the land of Egypt under uh, the oppressive rule of Pharaoh, Moses warns against idolatry. Uh, Egypt was an idol factory, right? Uh, there were habits. Uh, they were they were must-see people rather than people of faith that the Israelites were called to be. They often worshipped the things that they could see, uh, whether animals or the sun. Moses warned against idolatry. And in that, he testified to the, the, the exclusivity, the oneness of the one true God, our Lord. He's the great I Am. So Moses warned against idolatry, and he pointed to the exclusivity of the one true God. And then Moses begins to outline, he begins to give specifics of God's requirements for his people. These are the commands of God, the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules. And this goes beyond our text, beyond Deuteronomy chapter 6 and other chapters as well. And it can get rather lengthy, as we have seen in our study of the Old Testament. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, and then into chapter 6, Moses details the Ten Commandments. We're familiar with those. We've seen those in Exodus. And then he pauses. The beginning of chapter 6, he pauses to give special highlight to the greatest commandment. And Jesus speaks to this, or attests to this same truth, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 22. And in chapter 6, verse 5, if you'll look with me, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. All of the, the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that were given to the Israelites can be summed up in this one greatest command, to love God. To love God with all that you are, with all of your might, with your heart, to love God. Moses goes on to stress the diligence, or the need for diligent study and meditation on the laws of God, as they are lengthy and specific and well prescribed. 
But that would overflow. The study of God's law would overflow into the desire to teach your children and further generations about God and His law. We see this in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 6 as well. Basically, he says, You shall talk to your children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall even write them on the doorposts of your house. There was to be a passion about the the testimonies and the statutes and the rules of God. And there's good reason for this. And Moses then urges the Israelites to take care. Take great care. Be careful, lest you forget the Lord. Uh, I love our staff times here at Riverbend. We meet weekly together, pastoral staff and um, support staff together. And currently we're reading through the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it is not scripture, but it's full of scripture. <laughs> it's, it's full of biblical truth. And we've really been highlighting in our early study the recognition of that narrow path. It's not a broad one. It's not a common path. It is very specific and prescribed. We know that narrow path and that gate to be Jesus Christ. Amen? He alone is the way of salvation. To look to anything else is faulty and leads to destruction. And in our study, we see the importance of being rooted in the Word of God. Because aside from that, we may go to and fro. To any which way, we may compromise the truth and fall into that way of destruction once again. Be diligent to study and meditate on the law of God. So the question comes from the son to the father. What's the meaning of this? What's the significance of adhering to and carefully obeying the law of God? I think the diligent, observable, careful adherence and walk according to the law would provoke such a question. Why all of this? Why carefully obey? It takes work. It takes great might. It takes full heart to follow God's word. Parents, I think you'll agree with me on this. It is a fortunate father. It is a fortunate parent that would receive such a question from their child. Are you with me on that? Mm. Immediately think of my own children. To have your son or daughter ask you about the significance and the meaning and the importance of God's word in their life. We should beg for such an opportunity. These are conversations that that Christian parents, that uh, those in ministry and children's ministry and youth ministry should crave for opportunity. And I think with such a question, I think we could be very quick to answer and not give full understanding to what Scripture gives to this question. Why obey God? Why diligently study the Word? Why carefully obey the law? I think the quick response might be because God is your creator. He made you. And there's very good truth to that, amen? But there's a fullness, there's a roundness, there's a dynamic truth that accompanies that reality because of who God is. And we see it in the text. I think the first response that we see here in the text 
If you look at verses 21 through the beginning of 23 with me, you know, the question is, why obey God? Why, why carefully and diligently obey Him and follow Him? I think the very beginning of the response goes along the lines of this. Because the Lord is with us and He saves. The Lord is with us and He saves. Look at the text. In response, then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. Are you captivated by the Exodus story? Have you watched uh, the Prince of Egypt? There's some liberties there, but there's also some great graphic cartoon images. And I, I get giddy when I watch uh, that movie. When, when the Red Sea is split, I'm in awe. And it's ink on a something on a screen. I don't even know what it is. But I'm in awe of what God does for his people. It was shown before their eyes. They could see it, what God was doing. He was there and he was saving. He was delivering his people from the heavy hand of Egypt. It's one of the most magnificent and powerful stories in all of Scripture. I'm endeared to it. I love it. I rehearse it over and over again in my mind because it shows who God is and it shows a great reality for you and me by faith. I know another story. I know yet another story. It's not wholly disconnected from the Exodus story that we find in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, uh, it gives focus to the same author. This story might be even greater. As a young man, I was enraptured by the allure of the things that the world would have to offer me. I was held captive by the lusts of my sinful heart. I was set on a course opposite God, giving no attention to my Creator, and I was spiritually dead. I was leaping day by day closer to a holy God's just punishment for sin. A punishment reserved for sinners alone. And I was in a hopeless, desperate condition. Anybody with me on that? The story goes on. Because of the long-suffering kindness of our God, the perfect obedience of His Son, even to the cross, to the servant-hearted substitutionary death of my Savior, because of that I live. Amen? Anybody have a similar story? And there's more to the story. It doesn't end there. Believers don't miss out on the opportunity for the, the wholeness and the response to the question, why obey God? Why follow Him? It's so easy for us to say that we should obey God because He is our Creator. And there is valuable truth there. However, if we're Bible students, there is an overarching 
redemptive plan revealed throughout all of Scripture. And it leads us to understand and to know the character of God. This past Monday at our 12-2 Bible study, we began to talk about the Old Testament narratives. And I asked the students to name some of them, and we did. We named many of them. The students were chock full of ideas of Old Testament narratives. And even as you sit here, rehearse some of the titles of those stories in your mind. The creation. The fall of man. Noah and the flood. Abraham and Isaac. And you could go on and on. How often do we leave out the name of God when we mention these stories? Even when we give title to these stories, we often neglect his name. Now, I'm not coming down heavy on that. I do it all the time. And obviously, to know these stories is to know God. But how often do we neglect the nearness and intimacy of God throughout all of Scripture in his redemptive plan? Our God is personal. He is near. He is involved with man. And our God loves to rescue sinners. So here's a key thought. (laughs) We should not separate the office or the authority of God from His character. When you're asked, why obey or follow God? Don't leave yourself with simply the answer of, because He's your creator. There's good truth there, but there's much more truth in knowing our God. As creator, he does have the absolute right to command. And through his commands, we see his loving kindness. The world will speak of our God as a tyrant God. Uh, A very arrogant God that, that wants to rob us of our autonomy or our independence. I think if we simply see God as a tyrant God, we forfeit the benefits of his providential care in our lives and the capacity to see him in his beauty. Would you agree? And it is in his beauty that we would be in awe of to see him in his fullness, which is most satisfying. If we do this, if we neglect the fullness of understanding God, even through his commands, I think we're left with his just Hatred towards sin. Deuteronomy 6, same chapter, earlier in the chapter, 1 through 3, it says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey. It's not the nature of our God to arbitrary, arbitrarily withhold things from us. They're promised. There's a great manifestation 
of God's love through one particular provision, and I think you know the one I'm talking about. It's through His Son. As He gave us His Son, we see, we begin to see the fullness and understanding of His love. The greatest provision from our God is salvation found in Christ alone. Have you, have you experienced the mighty hand of God in salvation like I have? It is a fortunate father who can give testimony to the significance of the word of God. We're very fortunate if a child or a student asks about the importance of, of regular participation in congregational worship or Christian fellowship, or personal Bible study, or missions, or intentional one-on-one discipleship, or in public baptism, or in communion. There's rich truths behind all of these things. We'd be very fortunate to have a child or a student ask us such a question. Because our answer in its fullness, in its roundness, beyond the fact that God in His office of authority has the right to command we have the opportunity in that fullness to say he's also a God who is near and loves us and loves showing it. Amen? He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He's our teacher. He's our intercessor. All of this points to the glory and the magnificence of Jesus Christ. Let me give you another question. If you've experienced the mighty hand of God in salvation... Can you consider the various means that God used to bring you to salvation in Christ alone? Have you considered the various means that he used to bring you away from the idol factory that is your heart and instead arrest your heart for himself? We know in the Old Testament story, the Lord interceded on behalf of Israel, delivered them from Egypt. He did it in a powerful way, as the text says, They were able to see it with their own eyes. They saw signs and wonders. The mighty deeds that he did before their eyes to bring them out from the idol factory of Egypt. What mighty things has God done in your life to bring you away from self-worship and the idol factory that is your heart and rather grip your heart by his word, by the truth of salvation that we have in Christ. I think of various means that the Lord used in my life to bring me to that reality and that conviction. I remember vividly the convictions that came by reading his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The students know my testimony. (laughs) I was saved in bed at night reading God's word. It was the only source of truth in my life. I didn't have a shepherd in my life that was leading me. I didn't didn't have uh, someone older in the faith to lead me along, but he put the Bible in my hand, something I never would have chosen, but in my desperate need and in the futility and in the, in the way that I was living, he brought me to my knees to have some sort of dependence for some sort of truth. And I opened my parents' Bible. I laid in bed, and for nights I would read and read and read, and I came to enough understanding of the truth of God that he led me right there in my bed to salvation in Christ alone. I was gripped. My life changed forever. The first thing I did the next morning was throw away all of my music because I know the grip that it had on my heart because of the lust of my my flesh and of my mind and of my heart. I had a need for Jesus Christ. Looking back, there were 
relationships in my life that the Lord was taking away from me that, that were very worshipful for me and very dangerous. And he began to replace those relationships with new relationships that provided a means of grace in my life and spiritual guidance. I began to find the end and the, the worthlessness of the things I once pursued. And I counted them as loss, as Paul says in Philippians 3. The things I once thought were most valuable. Seeing and experiencing God's grace in my life, which matches what Scripture reveals about Him, leads me to obedience. This is my heart's motivator, to obey God. This obedience is about freedom. Not a bondage to a heavy, weighty, alien and strange law. God's commands reflect what he loves. As I grow in my faith, my love for the Lord is reflected in my love for his commands. They're not merely to be remembered or wrote in my mind in a mental capacity, but rather they're to be cherished in the heart. Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6 says, You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The grace of God motivates me to obey Him. Romans 6, 13 and 14 say, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but now under grace in Christ alone. And there's something else to this obedience. Why obey? Why obey? The heart's motivator is in God's grace. But if we love our Lord, our obedience to God's word is a witness to the world. It evidences the righteousness and the nearness and intimacy of our God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, says, See, Moses says, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Moses goes on to say, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon His name? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that is set before you today? This is our God. <laughs> We're to be a witness to Him. And there's a second part to this response in the text. Why obey God? Why follow Him? What is the meaning of all this? The second response is because the Lord faithfully gives according to His promises. We see this in verses 23 through 25 of chapter 6. In verses 23 and 24, Moses says, And He brought us out from there, there being Egypt, that He might bring us in, 
and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Think back. Why did God rescue the Israelites from bondage in Egypt? It was to establish a personal relationship with them. It was to provide a land that would meet their needs in abundance. It was to fulfill a promise that he had made to their fathers. And it was to act on their behalf for good. Why does God rescue us? Why does God rescue us from our sins through Jesus Christ alone? From the bondage of sin and death. He does it to bring us into a right relationship with Him. To provide, by grace, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, a rest that we never had before. It is a rest from the, righteousness, or the righteous requirements of the law, both now and in the future. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy, are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why did God rescue us? Why does he rescue people from their sins? It's to fulfill the promise that we see in the Old Testament of salvation. We see it all the way back to to Genesis 3, right after the fall. We see the promise that God will provide a way. And it's pictured so clearly in the Exodus of God taking the Israelites out of Egypt and their bondage to a very sinful uh, people, an idol factory. This is the foundational means for the overarching plan of redemption. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Why does he rescue us from our sins? To act on our behalf for our eternal good and for his glory. Amen? God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with him. Verse 25, it ends with this. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now, this might be the most intriguing verse in the text. Because we know, we know we cannot live perfectly according to the law. This, this perfectly prescribed and lengthy law that the Lord gives that manifests His character, that shows us our holy God, and we're to walk in this way. We know we fall short of that. I fell and continue to fall wickedly as short of that but on my own. So what do we know for sure here? Can this righteousness be earned by following the law? No. No. Why are we left with this? There's already inherent sinfulness in the heart. And God's people, the Israelites, are not without sin. I think in the text here, there's two things to consider. Number one, the commands reflect God's way. 
It is a way of righteousness. Israel is commanded to obey in order to experience right living with God. In Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We've heard this from Christ. Who is the bread of life? (laughs) Jesus, the fulfillment of the word. This is the testing of the heart by God's commands in order to see man's clear reliance on God's way and his word. This is goodness to us in truth. God's commands show us who he is and it shows us who we are. And it shows us our need for him. And the righteous demands of God's law were perfectly kept by Jesus Christ. They were ultimately fulfilled. If we trust in this provision by faith, students, then Christ is our righteousness as the fulfillment of God's word, of his testimonies, of his statutes, of his rules, Jesus is our righteousness. And what comes with this? Eternal life. We are to the praise of his glory. And we receive the promised Holy Spirit as we see in Ephesians 1. We will be sanctified as a product of his handiwork and used as instruments of grace in a lost world. We'll be seated with Christ in heaven as he shares his glory with us. We will receive the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness, as Ephesians 2 says, endless, limitless. The Lord knows our needs. He knows our needs. We're not to be anxious for anything, as Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, but rather we're to pause and be fully satisfied as David was satisfied. Ultimately, we're not intended to be fully satisfied in the life blessings that come with following the law of God, with obedience to the law. Rather, we're to rejoice in and worship the one that the law characterizes. We have a Savior, amen? So why follow the Lord? I think the text clearly points to redemption. The text in Deuteronomy 6 clearly points to the redemption only found in Christ alone. He brought you out that he might bring you in. Adoption. Brought into the fold by the mighty hand of God. Amen? Students, are you struggling in your submission to your creator? Then know him in the fullness of his revelation found only through his word. Why obey God? Why follow him? Because he's near and he saves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these truths. We're dependent, we're reliant upon your word. Lord, it is a way of righteousness and it shows us 
who you are. Beyond our responsibility to submit to our creator, we see through the revelation that you have provided us that you want us to know you. You want us to know your plan of redemption. We want you, we want, you want us to know, Lord, the, the fullness of the story, the overarching theme in scripture of, of the redemption that we have in Christ alone that you secured for our good and for your glory. Lord, help us not to treat your word flippantly or to fall into the way of work simply because you're our creator. But Lord, that is accompanied and packaged with the reality that you are a Lord that is close and that saves. And you have a love for us as your people. Why do we obey and follow? Because you love us. There's much gratitude in my heart tonight as I consider your truth. And I know that likely resounds with those that you've called to love you that you've rescued from sin as you have me. Thank you for these truths, Lord. We pray for these students. As they go on, as they make big decisions in life, as they have great endeavors and pursuits, Lord, I pray that they would align with your will as we come to know it through your word. You would bless that walk. Their, Their careful meditation and direction on the narrow path that they may know the gate. And through Christ, you would set them free. Thank you for these truths. We, we worship you this evening and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.